0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match. You're listening to WrestleSpective Radio with a 60-minute time limit. the big boys play huh this is where the big boys play wrestle spective radio where the big boys play wrestle spective radio where the big boys play wrestle spective radio
1: hello everyone you're listening to where the big boys play uh, and, uh, Jason to WrestleSpective Radio. I'm here with Jason Mann. How are you, Jason?
0: Uh, great. Thank you for having me on the show, or thanks for us doing this joint show together, I guess. Uh, but anyway, I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah, um, now, Chad was also, uh, scheduled to be with us, but, um, he was called away last minute, uh, by work, um, which, uh, was just saying, because, uh, I believe he really enjoyed Clash of the Champions, um... And I mean Jason I've listened To your show For quite Quite a while now How long has that Podcast been going
0: Uh, About about a couple years Um, We kinda It it took a little while For us to do Like we, we did like probably five or six episodes over a number of months, and we started making it a regular thing, I guess about two years ago now. So um, we've done, gosh, 170 shows now, and uh, basically, for those who don't know, it focuses uh, mostly on uh, main events of pay-per-views, whether... uh, WWE, WCW, ECW, TNA, even, we've done even the uh, Herb Abrams UWF, so um, basically any major or not so major company that did a national pay-per-view we're willing to cover it, and I have different um, rotation of guests every time, and we just kind of talk about the match and the context of what was going on, and the past storylines and future storylines, and any just interesting things about it, so... That is what it is.
1: Yeah, and I've always been impressed by just how prolific you are. Uh, you know, you. Um, I remember one time, every single time I put iTunes on, you'd have another show up where you basically <laughs> burn through the SummerSlam uh, pay-per-views, where, where in fact you've done uh, quite a lot of main events where you just run through year by year looking at um, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Starcade. Uh, you've basically done them all, right? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I've done all of those three. So I haven't done that in a while because that is quite a bit of work and I don't quite have as much time as I used to have, or I'm maybe not willing to devote quite as much time as I used to. But we get usually we do a show or two every week. Kind of depends. It's been kind of slow going for the last couple of months because I've been in the midst of some stuff, but I'm sure we'll get going again pretty soon.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, th- as far as we're concerned on this show, um, we, uh, you know, momentum is really difficult to keep up, you know. Uh, we all have busy lives and things, and it's uh, just finding the time to do uh, this once a week uh, often proves problematic, which is why there's often like a two a week gap. Uh, and then sometimes we may have a couple of shows in a week. You know, it really just depends on the way the cookie uh, crumbles. Indeed. Um, so, d- just before we go into Clash of the Champions, um, I think it might be worth asking you how long you've been a wrestling fan. Uh, what got you into wrestling, Um, and yeah, just give us a bit of your story, your journey, I guess, to what brought you to uh, being on the other side of uh, the the microphone.
0: Sure, Um, well I first became a fan around 1986, I was uh, seven years old, and the first thing I really remember was um, Hulk Hogan being attacked by a King Kong Bundy and being avalanche repeatedly in the corner and um i believe don morocco holding him as um king kong bunny was doing this so this would have been the lead up to wrestlemania 2 and i think the thing that stuck with me was later that year the um famous uh randy savage uh ricky steamboat angle where savage drops the ring bell on steamboat's throat um, it just—I remember just you know steamboat clutching it, and it just being the, the the fear that he you know was seriously hurt, and and just you know and being captivated by the stories and by you know the the action and so forth. Obviously, like most wrestling fans are hooked into so it was around that time i became i was a serious fan for the next three or four years give or take um but i was really exclusively a wwf fan uh, as far as watching goes i i followed nwa through magazine stuff but i was always kind of puzzled by them because it just seemed like um the good guys almost never won or if they won their victories are yeah. fleeting and um that as a kid was just something that you know Was confusing and not really appealing to me um that I didn't really want to watch it but looking back on it I wish I had given it more of a chance because I think I would have enjoyed it just based on the characters and based on the in-ring stuff and especially a show like this you know I was a devout WWF fan as I mentioned so I was watching Wrestlemania for the time in which this went head to head so um you know, I uh, now I have watched WrestleMania four probably more times than I've watched any other wrestling show because it was one of the few that I actually had on tape myself <laughs> and would watch it over and over again. So even though it's considered historically a terrible show, I have a very strong affinity for it um, just be- because of those memories and based on Randy Savage winning the title, being my favorite wrestler. But, you know, looking at it objectively, there's no way that that show compares to how great this show is.
1: Yeah, what well, I was gonna ask you, are you some sort of masochist? Because it's like four hours long. I always remember the um the VHS for WrestleMania four was like the double, um yeah, it was like the double spine and it had a big picture of Andre on it. Um, it yeah, and it yeah used to create problems for my shelving. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, I'm quite fond of WrestleMania four as well. To be honest, I mean it's kind of it, all the matches are pretty short, you know. It's, it it kind of. Moves along, yeah, fairly nicely. Although- yeah, the only thing
0: that's really bad on it is Rick Rude and Jake Roberts, like, which is a 15 minute draw, which just yeah. seems to go on forever. But, yeah. um, but everything else is fun and short, and and the Randy Savage story is fun, and the uh, comedy with Bob Euchre I enjoy. So, um, you know, but, uh, but but that's not what we're talking about, obviously.
1: No, although uh, WrestleMania Four is uh, is important. Um, uh, as we'll get on to later, but let's let's just um, so you were a fan around this time, and you, uh, a lot of people um, have a kind of gap where they kind of stop watching wrestling. Did you? Did, it sounds to me that you had one of these as well uh, at some point. When when did that occur?
0: Yeah, that yeah. was more. Um, I mean. I think I had like a real, like a two year, two to three year period where I was watching like almost every week or whatever and was following it very closely and then kind of gradually lost interest for a couple more years. And then I remember, um, I think I got back into it seriously just for like a spell, like late 91, early 92, right. and once I realized they weren't going to do Hogan Flair, as definitely, you know, was was teased heavily, that, yeah. um, that I lost interest in it almost completely and didn't get back into it until 96 and then really heavily in 97.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I've said it before, um, I think a lot of fans have a gap around the time uh, the Lugalex Express thing happens. Um, I think a lot of fans weren't watching in '94, '95.
0: Yeah, um, I, that was it. Was the kind of thing where I would check in like every six months or so, definitely around WrestleMania time, just to kind of see what was going on. But yeah, other than that, yeah, there, I was not paying very close to attention to it at all.
1: Uh, considering what uh, the, you know, the sort of reputation of Bret Hart, and considering he was champ at that time, I always thought it was interesting that he was really champion at a very d- kind of dark period for the. WWF. Um, I, I actually think WCW uh, 93, 94, um, at least up until Hogan comes in, is actually pretty good. It's really slept on... Uh, uh, I mean, you did the Beach Blast 92 show recently. Um, and I re- I actually really like... We haven't got up to it on the, this show yet, but um, I really like the promotion during that time period. I thought they were building something quite interesting there. Like a real alternative to uh, what WWF were doing, um, so so you got back on board during the Attitude
0: era, right? Uh, yeah, I yeah, definitely. I think the NWO was the thing that hooked me at first, and then I'm um, getting into the Bret Hart, um, you know, the Hart Foundation, Steve Austin storyline, and then Austin versus McMahon. I mean, I, you know, I I'm a lot of people kind of followed the trajectory that I did for, you know, getting into it, um, into the late eighties and kind of fading. And then, you know, sort of the nostalgia, um, combined with some exciting new ideas kind of brought everyone back and then created sort of another boom that obviously went bust. And I, you know, um, sort of, I was, I've, you know, I've, I've stuck with it ever since, but there have been definitely periods where I've, um, watched it almost every week, and there have been periods where, you know, I'll watch it once in a while, still follow along on the internet, obviously the internet makes that easier, and even, obviously today I can pretty much just watch whatever I want to watch afterward. Usually I don't even bother watching Raw, or it's kind of something I do every every month or so, and then just kind of follow the on Twitter, or on, you know, Observer, or different websites, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've actually stopped watching since... I think it's about two thousand and four now, so I don't, I don't, I literally don't watch the modern product uh, at all. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and I mean, well, once in a while, like once every few months, I might uh, put it on. Um, I uh, I got I think half an hour into Rest, into WrestleMania this year before I turned it off. In uh semi discussed so <laughs> yeah. i didn't even what, I, I, was there anything
0: that in two thousand four that just was like okay, this is enough or was it just just accumulation of whatever
1: well i mean for a start, as you get older it becomes kind of more difficult to um yeah, keep track of it week after week but uh yeah. i think it was a kind like i remember i was i watched all the legacy stuff um uh, is it what they call legacy the, the you flare, mean evolution flare triple h faction yeah and then uh, evol- uh, yeah evolution uh, uh, sorry evolution yeah that, that's what it was called um and then it i i see, i seem to remember cena came in and the the product had really become something i just was no longer interested in like for me wrestling's all about uh, larger than life characters and uh, in- interesting angles and um it seemed to me that it was becoming more and more about this kind of new metal like a whole culture that I'm not really part of and never will be. Like I couldn't really relate to any of the characters. I hated Randy Orton and his kind of snake thing that he was doing around that time. I don't know if he still does that, but um. So I, yeah, I, it was really difficult for me to get behind a lot of the new guys that were coming out. And um, I mean, even now they all look just they all look the same to me. Like you don't get um. Like it's almost unimaginable for a guy like Dick Murdoch, for example, to be around now. Like you just, mm. you just don't get the equivalent of that. So yeah. it's become, and it's very homogenised. You know, I mean, I don't want to be down on the current product too much, but um, yeah. And then um, I think there's a, we've also had in the past few years an explosion of footage from the past. So I mean, I've literally got so many DVDs here. Uh, of stuff that I still haven't watched that I could probably um, uh, this is a big claim, but I could probably go the rest of my life uh, only watching stuff from the 80s and 90s and still not exhaust all the stuff I've got here um, yeah, know, for
0: the- uh, I know what you mean. I certainly have that feeling with stuff online, and you know, you know, there's so much interesting wrestling out there that um, the things that are going on now don't seem nearly as compelling. Once in a while, there'll be something, but for the most part, it's like, yeah, why do I have any interest in this when there's just this this history and this, you know, these all these different you know cultures of wrestling and all these different places that you know that I haven't explored that seem much more fascinating than anything today.
1: Yeah, well, no, exactly that, and I mean, I I wouldn't rule out ever kind of getting back on board, but I think the WWE need a entire change of policy and direction. Like it's far too, it's almost like um nothing is organic in the everything's kind of really manufactured to within an inch of its life, and so therefore everything comes across as um uh, inauthentic, uh, and I think that's the That's the basic problem, no amount of good, even if the matches are good, the basic presentation is uh, something that I find a real barrier. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, so (laughs) Clash of the Champions, uh, the the very first Clash of the Champions, uh, let's get on to that. It happened in um, March of 1988, Uh, I think it was March 27th? That's correct. Um, And... Um, this was the very same night as the aforementioned WrestleMania 4. Um, and this is was part, really part of a, uh, a new uh, tactic from uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, who, who... I mean, Vince had really put their nose out of joint uh, with what they did um, uh, with the Starcade show, when they put Survivor Series head-to-head with it. Um, and Vince basically has strong-armed a lot of the uh, pay-per-view carriers. Um and he said well, if you if you take St- uh, Starcade, we we are not gonna carry um we're not gonna give you WrestleMania four. And of course WrestleMania three had been huge. So uh Crockett found themselves in a situation where there were a lot of uh pay per view carriers who uh weren't carrying, you know, their flagship show Starcade. Um so I guess one of the ways that they fought back um, was by putting, um, this show, Clash of the Champions, uh, free to air on Superstation TBS, head to head with Wrestlemania. So you could either pay, whatever it was, $20 to watch, uh, Wrestlemania, um, or, for free, uh, you could watch Sting vs. Flare on this show. So it was a pretty good, pretty good move, and reading the, um, uh, Meltzer from this period, He seems to think that about 2 million people um, watch this show, uh, as opposed to about 500,000 who watched WrestleMania. Um, Although, obviously, each of those 500,000 had given money uh, for it, whereas this was free to air. So I'm I'm guessing uh, WWF still made more money that night. Um, And this was in Greensboro, right in their backyard, in the Greensboro uh, Coliseum. Um, Mm -hmm. And he also told us that it only uh, drew 6,000 fans. So um, and that can actually be accounted for since it was being shown live on TV. um, You know, only your hardcore NWA fans are going to turn up uh, when they can watch it for free. Which I find uh, an interesting justification. Maybe the mindset of fans was different then than it is now? I mean, any thoughts on that, Jason?
0: What you just mean as far as... um not necessarily showing up if you can see it for free.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like it. if um, I mean if I was in Greensboro, I'd probably be tempted to go. Um,
0: yeah, I, I would think so. Um, you know, I, now I I know that NWA had cooled off a lot, uh, or you know, Crockett better way to put it, yeah. Crockett had cooled off a lot. Um, and they had also um made Greensboro unhappy by. Moving Starcade out of um, that market, um, so in Starcade '87, which was in Chicago, so that may have been kind of a blowback from that. Um, as far as you know, uh, you know I've, re- I'm, I've read Meltzer's history of Starcade, and he mentioned that as kind of being a key to um, not killing, but certainly hurting their business there. So maybe that had something to do with it. Um, and also, I don't know. Um, Like, obviously, Sting and Flair is a legendary match now, but I'm not sure how Sting was viewed at the time, whether that would have been something that necessarily would have drawn um, huge at the time. In retrospect, this made Sting a star, but Sting wasn't quite a star at the time. He was more of, you know, kind of like an up-and-cutter. It would be like, I don't know, John Cena wrestling, um... I'm trying to think of a good of a good parallel, but you know, kind of a like an intercontinental title level guy suddenly getting a chance against John Cena, um, is that something that pe- that would you know flock people to go see? I, yeah, not necessarily.
1: Yeah, and um, I mean, you can actually see that. I mean, at uh, Starcade, and at, at also at the um, at the bunker Stampede, uh, I mean, Sting was over, but you can see he was way down the card there, and that was only right. like two, what, three, four months before this? So that's a short space of time. Uh, uh, to go From being, you know, just a tag guy on the opening match to being in the main event. So this is kind Mm -hmm. of a massively accelerated um, push. One of the things we should should remember um, is that there were a lot of firings um, and people walking out of Crockett at this time. Uh, I mentioned last time the Rock and Roll Express um, uh, bailed on the promotion. A uh, actually has a a few more uh notes about uh why that was they were they were asked a job to um Ivan Koloff and the warlord um and they weren't happy about that uh so that was one of uh, the reasons that they left and also Michael Hayes was fired um because of some unspecified incident. Do you happen to know if the top of your head what what that incident was? But Meltzer- uh, no, I
0: don't. I've never heard about that, actually.
1: But, uh, yeah, well, Michael Hayes was fired. Uh, he was obviously tagging with Jimmy Garvin at this time. Um, Ron Garvin actually stepped in as the new partner of, of Jimmy mm-hmm. Garvin. Um, but, uh, Meltzer actually speculates that some of these firings weren't because of the reasons that people, um, were saying that they were actually because of financial difficulties. Um, and Hayes was uh, Hayes had actually signed this big money contract um, a couple of years previous. He kind of signed it in advance, but apparently Jim Crockett uh, Jr. had never actually signed this contract. Um, so when Hayes kind of put pressure on them to sign this permanent contract, um, they found you know some reason to get rid of him. So and you know what Hayes was like at that time, he was kind of uh, you know it probably wouldn't have been difficult to find him you know, drunk and disorderly or something. <laughs> uh, probably not.
0: <laughs> so, given his reputation, certainly. But,
1: but I seem to remember reading that the main event for this show would have been Hayes versus Flair um, had Hayes not been fired. So hmm. Sting is only really getting this spot uh, because a spot has opened up on the card. Um, because you've got to remember that the, um, Flair was still kind of feuding with um, the Garbins, Like Ronnie Garvin and Jim Garbin, Jimmy Garbin. uh, You know, Starkey wasn't that long ago, and I don't think that feud had uh, entirely been settled. Um, Mm. And he'd already wrestled, uh, uh, you know, both of the Garbins, so the next in line was uh, Michael Hayes, because he was, you know, they were kind of part of a faction together at that time. Um, The the only other news I have from from the Meltzer uh, is that he says. That Ted Turner is now in bed with JCP um, to help them with their pay-per-view push, um, and I've just written here. Watch this space on that. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that Paul Bosch, the uh... Houston promoter who retired last year, is actually back as part of the NWA board of directors. Um, more on them later in this show. So um, let's uh... let's get on to it then. Uh, your hosts uh, for tonight are well initially Tony Shivani and Bob Coddle, um, but then uh, the announced team is actually Tony Schiavone and uh, Jim Ross with Coddle as kind of a, a on-air interviewer slash host. Um, we go into the first match, uh, and before I get into this, uh, I will say that clearly the version of this that I had was um, recorded on TV probably in. You know, 1988 on Betamax or something, because the audio uh, quality was absolutely atrocious. I don't know what um, what you found, Jason.
0: Yeah, mine was basically the same. I we probably saw the same version. So
1: yeah, and I did actually have a look around for some different versions, but it seems like that is the one. Um, that is the one that we have. Um, so a lot of the commentary and and even some of the interview segments, it was very difficult to make out what they what they're saying. Um, did did you ever play those old um, uh, WWF arcade games? Um, uh, well, there was a, Wrestlefest. A, a little bit, uh, not not that much, but there, there was Wrestlefest and there was. The uh, I did
0: play Wrestlefest. Yeah, I played that a lot. Actually, I, I <laughs> completely forgot about that. But I was, um, I, yeah, I was always Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan for some reason. I don't know why, but
1: um, there was also one with uh, D B R C and Andre as the as the end bosses, like the. The, the previous game uh, to WrestleFest um, and that they they had this kind of interview at the start um, you know where, where you could hear like a voiceover and the voice was all kind of garbled you know in kind of like that late 80s early 90s uh, digitized uh, voice um, and a lot of the interviews on this show sounded a bit like that to me <laughs> reminiscent of the promo that uh, Andre and Dibiase gave us on that game um, anyway, we, we we start out with a TV title match, um, and the TV uh, champion at this point uh, is not Nikita Kolov, um, as it was uh, in the last show, but it's Mike Rotunda. So sometime between um, the Bunker Stampede and now, Mike Rotunda uh, beat Nikita Koloff for the TV title, and he's facing off against Jimmy Garvin, who's with Precious. And uh, Teddy Long uh, is the ref. So if it's all right with you, Jason, I'll just uh, quickly go through the match. And then uh, I'll ask you for for your analysis, uh, you know, for your thoughts. Sure. Okay. Um, So uh, they start off by saying that this rule has some uh, interesting uh, rules, that uh, there are three periods. Did you... Catch what this was about. Was this under some amateur rules or something?
0: Yeah, the idea was that it was basically amateur rules. Um, I, I, I guess the three five minute periods that that would I guess that would be um, an amateur wrestling thing as well. I don't know a whole lot about amateur wrestling, um, but yeah, the the I, basically the the difference between this match and any other match is that your if your shoulders are down for a one count, you it, that's the fall instead of it being a three count. Right. Okay.
1: Right, uh, well, I seem to miss that. Um, but then that's because I couldn't really hear what the uh, commentary team was saying. Um, so, so a one count is a pin here. Is yes, exactly. All oh, right, I t- I, t- I totally didn't know this. <laughs> um, it, Mike Rotunda is actually with the Varsity Club. The Varsity Club are formed by this stage, um, so he's with Kevin Sullivan here in his corner, and of course Rick Steiner is the other member of that. And he comes out to some interesting. Uh, varsity, uh, varsity music and a college jacket. Um, just before we get into this match, uh, one of the weird things about Mike Rotunda is, um, that run he has is the the US Express. I I always think that's a really weird tag title run for some reason. In, uh, where was it? 85? Uh,
0: yeah, um, 80, or it was, um, yeah, I guess it would have been 85 into maybe early 86. Um, Um, yeah, well, I don't, I mean, is it just odd because it's just different from his other characters, or just, or something about him as trying to be the all-American guy that you just don't buy?
1: I don't know, it just seems like, it seems unusually early for Mike Rotunda to be getting a tag title run in the WF. Um, because I think, like, he goes from there to Florida, it's just like, where does that tag run come from, you know? It just seems a a little out of the book.
0: Well, Rotunda and Wyndham had basically had very similar starts in their careers, so they were working Florida in the early 80s. I've seen in fact, I saw Mike Rotunda, a Destroyer match from, I think, pretty sure it was from Florida, from like 79 or 80. Um, And I guess the Destroyer uh, trained Rotunda, which I didn't know until recently. Um, So, uh, he'd actually been around for a while but you're right you know both him and Wyndham they I mean obviously they were guys that were just kind of plucked out of Florida because you know Vincent 84 and 85 and even thereafter was just kind of plucking you know whoever he could get whoever he you know whoever they felt had talent um, in there so I mean I mean, I, I, my assumption is that Rotunda and and Wyndham were kind of their counter to sort of like the pretty boy baby faces that were, you know, the Rock and Roll Express and the like. They were obviously a bit different from that, but they were kind of, you know, an attempt to be a heartthrob team and also, I guess, have that patriotism wave as well, kind of a combination.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of an oddly little forgotten little team, that, as well, the U.S. Express. Uh, no, you, no, yeah, you know, I, I know.
0: think it was just because um, that really people think of the start of WWF tag wrestling as being, at least maybe for me, maybe this isn't everyone, but of being the British Bulldogs um, and Hart foundation view. That's kind of what is sort of is, is thought of as kind of the big, you know, the, yeah. the launching pad for their, you know, three or four years of really good tag team wrestling.
1: Yeah, what well, I guess you could, you could push it back to the dream team. Um,
0: yeah, then too, but right. I mean, I, I yeah, the dream team and Bulldogs had a great rivalry, but I just think of like when, I I, when I feel like the consensus of when the um, you know, uh, of like kind of what stands out as far as those um that division kind of the genesis is of Hard Foundation and British Bulldogs. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just kind of where I've you know, or at least in my mind. Even though, yeah, the I like the British Bulldogs and Dream Team feud a lot too, but, um, you know, I, I guess just because of the, um, family connection and the angles later and all that, that's where it begins in my head.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I do, I do think, um, that retrospectively, well, for a certain type of fan, um, retrospectively, a lot of, uh, a lot of people kind of elevate things that somebody like a Brett was involved with, you know, you know right. what I mean by that, it's kind of, uh, if um, you know, if uh, if somebody who's pimp later was involved with something, it it kind of retroactively achieves a significance that um, you know in the minds of in the minds of fans. Does that make any sense?
0: I think so. Yeah. Um,
1: anyway, let's let's get back to Jimmy Garvin versus uh, Mike Rotunda. Um, we start off with a, a leg takedown from Rotunda, uh, and then an arm drag takeover, and I can barely hear. Ross and uh, Shivani, but they're saying that this is going to be a very amateur style match, uh, and these couple of moves kind of get that over pretty quickly. Um, we get some uh, cocky star jumps from Rotunda. Um, <laughs> Ross and Shivani take some time to hype the uh, upcoming Crockett Cup. Um, there's some uh, offense from Garvin now, Rotunda Bales. Uh, we get a headlock from Rotunda. Um, before long, the, f- the first period uh, is up. Now, was there a pin here? maybe I missed uh, the fact that, that there was a pin. But I, I just thought no. the time period expires, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the time period party. B- he, he at the end of it, he, he Rotunda is trying to roll the shoulders down of Garvin. They're they're kind of close to the ropes, and he's getting close. And then the and then the bell sounds for the end of the first five minute round.
1: Garvin body slams Rotunda from the top. We get a backdrop um, he goes for a suplex, uh, but then um, Sullivan, uh, Kevin Sullivan is uh, up on the apron, and he has Precious, uh, and but then from there, Rotunda steals the pin. Now, was this a three count or a one count? I don't, it was a one count. This was a one count, and that's enough for the win here? Yes. Okay, they just need one one count to win the entire yeah. match.
0: Okay, that's um, apparently what you need in amateur wrestling, so that was the that was the idea uh, I, I kind of think that's weird, but I did like like I liked the psychology of having to avoid it and of, of having to get up very very quickly out of the near falls it just made like a different pace of the match and different you know a uh, different type of match and I thought it was it was actually pretty cool
1: um d- 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 just to finish up here, Rick Steiner comes out. Uh, precious nails, uh, precious nails. Uh, him, I think. Did yeah, with a yeah. two by four. Uh, well, yeah, with a two by four. I don't know where she got this two by four from, but uh, she she had one. Um, yeah, she she hits him with a two by four. I was expecting to see uh, hacksaw. Um, yeah, he was there. Her, then uh, then she chokes uh, Sullivan pretty nastily um, with a wire, and I was like, wow, Precious is going for it here. Yeah. Um, apparently, it was a coat hanger. This uh, bit of wire that she had.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, yeah. It was what? What did you think? You've already touched on it. What did you think of this one?
0: Yeah, like I said, I thought it was interesting. Um, I, it, you know, it was it was fast paced. Uh, I thought Garvin um looked pretty good. For I've always liked Jimmy Garvin, even though he kind of gets um. You know, I've heard people kind of you know diss him, especially his later work with the Freebirds, and even some of that I've looked back on and enjoyed. So I don't know, maybe just the type of thing where if you see it too much, you get sick of it, but. The little bits and pieces I've um, got, I, I think, were good. But yeah, I, I thought um, obviously this type of thing gets over the varsity club gimmick, um, you know, Rotunda being from Syracuse and being the amateur wrestler, which is kind of a weird gimmick, especially with Kevin Sullivan being the guy behind him dressed in the Prince of Darkness robe, um, you know, managing these amateur guys. But um, you know, I, I I thought it worked for what it was trying to do. It wasn't anything fantastic, but I thought Rotunda did some nice um, heel work. Uh, you mentioned the I've never heard of them called star jumps, but but I, I call them or I, I they're known at least maybe that's a, a British thing, but. Um, <laughs> But for us, it's jumping jacks um, jumping that Retent did. Right, but I thought that was a nice, you know, just the, the little things that he did as a heel. I actually think this gimmick fits him better than any of his other characters. I never really particularly cared for him as IRS, and I always thought as a babyface, he just, you know, he was a more natural, arrogant heel. Um, so I, like I said I thought it was good execution and a, and a good story, and I, the, the stuff at the end was good. Precious, you know... Y- the heels are selling a lot for her, but she was pretty vicious with that two by four and that you know choking Sullivan, and um, it got over that story pretty well. That's gonna you know continue on through a decent amount of '88.
1: Yeah, well, I have to say, personally, I wasn't particularly fond of this match. <laughs> um, I don't know why; I just didn't think it had much going on. Um, okay, but it, it may be that I missed it because I didn't know about this one. This one can. It may be that I um, missed a major kind of chunk of the psychology here. But uh, for whatever reason, I just thought this was a little bit kind of, uh, you know, it was alright, but it was a little bit bland for what it was, um, Uh which I guess could maybe be a criticism of Rotunda in general, that he's a little bit bland.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, he's not Mr. Excitement, that's for sure. But I thought you know, everything was well executed, and it, you know, it kind of made sense. And like I said, I thought that the pace was was good, so it, it wasn't anything you know mind blowing by any by any stretch. But it's you know, it did its job.
1: Yeah, and it, it didn't uh, it didn't outstay its welcome. It was definitely over because uh, when they said, "Oh, there's going to be three rounds," I was thinking, "Oh God, this is gonna, yeah. this is going to go on forever." But um,
0: right. But basically, the <laughs> beginning of the second round is where it ends. So. Yeah.
1: To, 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 to be honest, actually, I was uh, I think I was more confused about the rules than anything, so when it ended it seemed a little bit abrupt, and I was like, oh, right, is that it? Um, I, I, and I did enjoy the post-match, I thought it was good to see uh, good to see a little bit of viciousness from a, a face valet.
0: Yeah.
1: So we go from here to uh, Bob Coddle, who's with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, who's back from Japan. Uh, he didn't Uh, I actually said last time that he was flown over um, for the Bunkhouse Stampede, but um, clearly Meltzer got that wrong, because in the the very next uh, uh, edition of Wrestling Observer, he says that, for whatever reason, William stayed in Japan a couple of weeks later, um, and he only came back uh, at this point. Um, We get a promo here from Dr. Death, uh, where he says he's going to face the winner, of uh, Flair versus Sting, he's got a shot at the world title. Um, I noticed during this interview that, uh, for whatever reason, right, just just in this interview, uh, he looked quite a lot like Scott Steiner with a beard to me. Uh, I don't know why, like facially, he seems to have a very <laughs> similar face to Scott Steiner. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought this was a pretty average promo, to be honest, uh, from Steve Williams. And any any thoughts, Jason?
0: Yeah, he stumbled over a few words here and there. I mean, it it got across the point. It's interesting that he um, does, as far as I know, does not does not challenge Flair anywhere afterward. And is basically um, in the mid card for uh, you know the rest of the year. He's, I don't know if he was going back and forth from Japan at this point. Um, I'm guessing he probably was, but um, it was it's kind of weird to put a guy in that position and then to pretty much do nothing with him and then turn him heel you pretty quickly afterward too.
1: Yeah, I I never really got the impression that Dusty the dusty or or indeed uh, Crockett promotion in general saw Steve Williams as the main event guy. Like there's never there's never much enthusiasm behind any of his pushes um from when they buy the UWF onwards. Right. Uh, until well until we get to 92, uh, which is yeah. quite, quite a way off here. Um uh, and obviously, then Bill Watts uh, has got a severe hard on for Doctor Death, so he pushes. In. And
0: plus, yeah, connection with him as well, obviously. So. Yeah,
1: no, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I will say. I mean, Jim Ross absolutely loves uh, Steve Williams. I mean, I, yes. I think uh, he's probably one of two or three men that Jim Ross would probably have sex with if uh, if he asked nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, then we we go from here to uh, I don't know if this was on your. Um, uh, copy of it, but there's a commercial for the Four Horsemen performance pills. Do you yeah, see this? The t- top performance system. <laughs> the top performance system. Um, were these basically steroids? I-,
0: I don't think so. I think they were, um, uh, you know, like supplements um, type thing. But I- I'm pretty sure that they were not steroids.
1: <laughs> Did you ever uh, see these? Sold in the shops or anything? Did you ever? <laughs>
0: uh, no, no. I, again, I wasn't. You know, the, the being not an NWA guy is. You know, I didn't know. You know, their, their marketing was definitely behind WWF's. Um, you know, if it wasn't a wrestling buddy or an ice cream bar, I probably wasn't really uh, privy to it. But, um, I, but yeah, uh, uh, that was not something that I ever recall seeing in uh, in the stores.
1: I should have asked, Jason. Wait, where, where in about in the United States are you from? Because
0: I it... am. I'm from Ohio, the, in the Midwest. So
1: Ohio, in the mid, and I mean, is that typically uh, a WWF country? I mean, what? what? Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I definitely more WWF. I, I um, I lived in Toledo at the time, which is like an hour and a half from Detroit, where, of course, WrestleMania three was, yeah. and and that area was definitely you know a WWF hotbed, because kind of um, you know the. Before there was WWF, you know, the the territory that was kind of there was the Sheik. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that territory burned out earlier than most of the ones that burned out because of the competition with Vince. So there was a kind of a gap where there was not much local wrestling. And in fact, um, Georgia Championship Wrestling, um, you know, in, in some ways the precursor to WCW, um, you know, they even ran some in Ohio, you know, in, in Michigan because of that gap. But but my point is, by the time WWF went national, there was a big starving, you know, a, a starvation of local wrestling, I guess, or of, of having a wrestling. So I think that area took to WWF more than some of the other ones did.
1: Yeah, and you can see some parallels with, uh, we had uh, Solomon on a couple of shows ago, who's from L.A., um, and, uh, again, the, the label promotion, I think, went out, um, kind of quicker than a lot of the other territories, so it right. was like there was a, a, you know, a void there waiting for events to come and fill it, basically. Um, exactly. And I, I think LA pretty quickly becomes WWF, uh, a WWF town, and indeed California becomes a, uh, you know, WCW obviously ran there, but, um. I think you know it was there for the taking for vince in this time period,
0: yeah Vince even went there a year before the before they really went national like they went there in eighty three when when back was still champion
1: yeah so so by this stage um by this stage by nineteen eighty eight uh the that area of the midwest is uh pretty solidly w
0: f oh yeah definitely
1: uh okay well where were we um Back to Clash of the Champions, and we have a U.S. tag title match now. Um, Now, I've been critical on the show in the past of the U.S. tag titles. Um, What are your thoughts on having a secondary set of tag titles?
0: Well, I'm usually more or less um, kind of guy when it comes to titles, so... um... Or less is more, rather. So uh, I guess the, the other way works either way. But generally, I am would be against them. I do feel like NWA, and maybe not directly in this year, but I think throughout most of the late 80s into like 90, 91, they had enough tag teams and enough tag teams with talent that you could do it. And you could mm-hmm. kind of have different things going on with the two different tag titles and kind of make them both meaningful and and so forth. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, um I, so where I'm more, I still kind of feel like I'm against it, but I'm not, like, massively against it. I can see why they had them, and I can see their use used to a certain extent.
1: Sure. Okay, well, I, I know there are a lot of people, and I think it's probably because of the Midnight Express is one, who, who are big fans of the U.S. tag titles. Um, I, I'm still not entirely convinced, uh, and I'm not even convinced that they had enough tag teams to justify that second tag title. I'm not even convinced that um, the WWF had enough, even at the very kind of heights of their massive ta- kind of tag roster. Um, you still only really have about ten tag teams at any one time. And if you, if there were only ten wrestlers in the entire promotion. Could you justify having several titles for them, or would you just have a world champion, number one contender, and then a bunch of guys that they face? <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: okay. I, yeah, that's that's a pretty good point.
1: Um, so d- anyway, this is the Midnight Express uh, versus the Fantastics, and as we as we come in, um, several members of the crowd have uh, uh, uh le- the letters of Cornette C O R N E double T E. Um, and we get a big cornet rules chant from these guys um so some heel fans there in Greensboro, which was quite entertaining um and it was is interesting that we actually got a shot of it as well um the uh obviously the midnight express are the champions coming into this and i 'm quite look, looking forward to this match because i really uh i really rate tommy rogers as a as a worker somebody <coughs> who's not talked about a a huge amount but um yeah he's he 's pretty good Right. Um, we get an arm drag from Rogers uh, on lane to start off with. Uh, we get some double teaming from the Fantastics in the Shine sequence. Uh, now, for me, the sound quality had basically gone right down here. It's barely audible uh, Same here. Um, the action goes outside of the ring. Um, Cornette uh, uses uh, a chair. We go back in. Um, Eaton takes a slam from uh, Fulton. Eventually, the Midnights get on top. Um, Rogers is our face in peril. We we get a karate kick from Lane. Uh, a stiff slap from Eton. Cornette holds up a table, and then Eton Irish whips Rogers into it, which was a nice uh, little spot there. Um, we get a brief hope spot from Rodgers, um, who gets a low blow on Lane. But Eton power slams him, uh, and then he hits an elbow from the top. We get, and I hope I'm calling this right, a side salto suplex from Lane. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Is that right? <laughs> I believe that's right. Um, we get some nice double teaming from the Midnights. Five punches in the corner from Eaton, uh which is a little bit surprising because it's very rare for heels to get that spot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the punches in the turnbuckle. We get a Savat kick from Lane, uh, who throws Rodgers out. Another table spot. Um, now, at this point, Cornette does a little uh, jig which uh, entertained me immensely. Uh, I've always said that heels don't dance, but I'd make an exception <laughs> for Jim Cornette because this was hilarious. Um, he was generally in a very excitable mood uh, this evening, Cornette. Um, the fantastic. Well, yeah, he was an excitable
0: guy for the most part, I would say. You know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, but he he was especially. I think he had an extra cup of coffee this evening. <laughs> but, uh-huh. uh, yeah, this little jig uh, was a, was a highlight of the evening for me. Um, the f- Fantastics uh, basically need to regroup here because uh, Rogers has taken uh, quite a pounding and he's hurt at this stage. Um, we get a nice elbow drop from Eaton. Cornette, uh nails Rogers with a racket, uh, but then in the finish, uh, Fulton catches him. Um, and he then hits, eats him with a racket. Uh, and we have new US Tag Champs. Or do we? Uh, Tommy Young comes out. And when Tommy Young, uh, when you see Tommy Young, usually that's a sign that something is going to happen. He, 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 consults with Randy, don't call me Pee Wee Anderson. Um, there's general confusion here. And Cornette, <laughs> basically at this point, Cornette basically goes crazy, takes off his belt, and, um, they have, uh, uh, Bobby Fulton, the Midnight Express, uh, basically grab Fulton by his arms and legs, and then Cornette whips, um, uh, Fulton with his belt, and as, he, as they leave the ring, he then hits Tommy Young with the tennis racket. <laughs> um, anyway, finally we get a call from Tom Miller who says that the Midnight Express have won by disqualification, which I think is an absolutely terrible call. Because yeah. He, uh, clearly, Cornette hit uh, the faces with a racket first. So if Tommy Young's going to interfere, at least get the right call. you know? Right.
0: Now, the throw over the top, was that the Fantastics being thrown over the top, or was that the Midnight? Who was thrown over the top? I was confused about that
1: oh oh it was for an over the I actually thought it was because of the use of the tennis racket
0: it was an over the top but i um it was confusing because the, the also the graphics said the midnight Express won my, my my thought is that the finish was supposed to be Fantastics win by um win by disqualification not by pin that, that yeah. but i I could be wrong about that.
1: See, what I, either way it was
0: this type finish but yeah i think the disqualification was from it was an over the top disqualification and not because of the racket
1: oh right okay so i i must admit uh missed that. and you know without commentary we have to kind of work these things out for ourselves so it was kind of a little sure. bit difficult i could you know i could barely hear the call being made there um, okay so what what do you think of this match
0: um i liked it i thought that um it was a really good furious start. Like, the, the, you know, the brawling was pretty intense. And for the most part, the chairs and tables and stuff looked good. There were a couple of weak ones. But, but you know, given the time that it was, I thought it was pretty strong. Um, once they kind of got back into the ring, I think there was like a 30-second to minute where, like, the Fantastic Four in control and there was really nothing going on. And it seemed like everyone was trying to figure out what they were doing. Um, but then there was a really good double team move with Eaton doing the jumping clothesline and lane sweeping the legs. And that kind of, um, once the Midnight's got in control at that point, then it got really good again. And, um, you, you, um, just told me for the first time that I've been mixing up, um, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers, um, for a very long time, because I thought that Fulton was Rogers and Rogers was Fulton, but, uh, but, uh, glancing, you know and I realized that you were correct and I was wrong um I haven't seen them in any fantastic matches obviously um so I didn't I was thought that they were the other other way for some reason yeah, um just to
1: be clear Fulton is the guy with the blonde hair and Rogers right. is the guy with the hair.
0: exactly and I thought Rogers had the blonde hair so you were you were correct um and um and and I thought, yeah, everything built up to the, um, you know, everything was was really well executed once the Midnights took, took control, um, and, um, you know, Rogers showing good fire, trying to fight against the odds, but the Midnights doing all the, you know, cheap heel stuff, uh, not really cheap, but all the, you know, good tag team heel stuff. And, um, and I liked the the look of concern on the fans' faces after Eden bulldogged um, Rogers under the table. That was just like a nice, like you know, nine, this is nineteen eighty eight wrestling, and the fans there, whether they believe it's real or not, exactly, they're they're buying into the story that's being told. They're invested in it, so they care about you know uh, whether Tommy Rogers is really hurt or not. So. um I thought, like, in a vacuum, everything was good with the finish, but it being, you know, another dusty finish, another, like, you know, you've screwed us over by the looking like the, the good guys have won, but, it, you know, being taken uh, back on a cheap te- technicality, you know, it, there was obviously a lot of that over the past two years, I'm sure, obviously, you've seen. I. You know. It'd be interesting to, to see if you guys could count the number of dusty finishes <laughs> you get from, like, you know, um, the beginning to at least through, um, well, I guess through, through most of WCW, because it wasn't like it was something they ever stopped doing.
1: But I mean, if you go back to our, um, if you go back to the 83, 84, 85, I mean, there were so many ref bumps, so many... Um, I mean basically if Tommy Young is the ref, you know you know you're not gonna get a clean finish. <laughs> but right. I mean, if Tommy Young is in any way involved, um, something something fishy is gonna happen. Um Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean if, with just to uh go back to this match a second, uh Meltzer give this four and a quarter stars. Would you go along with that?
0: Mm, I'm not really a match rating guy, but that seems high. That's uh, you know, I mean, it it was a it was a good, exciting match, but there was nothing like, um, it wasn't like out of the ordinary good. It was just you know a a good, fun, entertaining match, but nothing it's not something that I would demand my friends see or anything like that.
1: There, there was an unusual amount of table usage in this uh, in this match, especially for this time period. Um, and that's tr- uh, and Cornet was um kind of more involved than usual, I'd say. Like he was all like he was all over this match. Um, yeah which was quite entertaining um yeah no i th- I, th- I th i thought it was uh, you know i when the midnights were on top the the their offense was uh, all really good um rogers is good at selling uh, good at playing that face in peril and um i have always thought he's kind of the 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 ricky morton of this team you know he he carries uh, carries a lot of their matches if you watch a lot of fantastics um so no, yeah, it, it was it, it was good. Uh, maybe four and a quarter is um, kind of quite high for it, but I'd, I'd probably go at least three and a half if I had mm-hmm. if, if we you know, we don't we don't usually give ratings, but uh, if if I had to, I uh, I might go that high with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, and it, it was good actually to see uh, the Midnight Express in an actual match as opposed to a scaffold match because uh, I really hate those scaffold matches.
0: Yeah, I I do as well. Um,
1: um so we have we have a uh we have a, we have a special guest now. Um we you know Bob Coddle uh, says that we we have Eddie Haskell uh who is played by Ken Osmond. Now, who is this guy? Did any ideas uh did, Jason what's going on? Yeah. Here?
0: he is uh, he's uh, leave it to beaver was a very famous show in the 1950s and is was rerun forever on i mean it's, it's like one of those iconic um television shows um okay, okay. Uh, are you familiar with it at all or uh,
1: no, I, I don't think this one traveled
0: okay yeah i mean it's a very it, it would be like one of like the top four or five most famous shows from the 50s like i love oh, lucy um you know that that kind of thing. And now it was more of like a you know like a, almost like a kids show or like a family to comedy. More like kind of like the fifties equivalent of the Brady Bunch, let's say. Right,
1: okay, or like the Cos-, Cos the Cosby Show or something like that.
0: It, well, yeah. Cosby Show was yeah had families. Cosby Show was a little bit like more intellectual, or, right, you know, right. in a sense. But but yeah, it was kind yeah. of like it would be like Full House or or whatever. It was kind of that right. level of of show. And but um, anyway, the, the the point of having him on was they were having a new Leave It to Beaver on TBS at this point, right. so they're promoting that show. Okay. So which I never watched but I still remember the rap song that they used in the commercials and yes they use a rap song in the commercials to try to promote it cuz in 1988 in the United States they were using rap songs for every single commercial.
1: Right, okay. And was it that kind of like cheesy kind yes. of sub MC Hammer style rap? To that, yeah, than, you, know, you, you know it was uh,
0: yeah, it was like um you know just the idea of like, okay, rap is a thing now, so we have to incorporate it, and we'll incorporate it in like the most inauthentic, silly um, <laughs> way possible to try to, you know, get America to like us.
1: It, it's quite, it's quite interesting. One of the interesting uh, differences, I think, between um, the US and uh, and the UK is that um, you guys have a lot of TV from the 1950s that continue to be rerun. Um, we, we, Whereas when I think of the kind of British sitcoms that have kind of always been shown here, they're more from the '60s and '70s. Really, Um, Mm -hmm. there are very few shows from the 1950s that I can really remember ever being repeated or shown. Um, Okay, but I I guess that's a that's a US thing in general that there's a kind of heavy nostalgia for the for the 1950s, right? I
0: mean, I I did. uh, Well, I mean, maybe it's possible that we just had more shows. I mean, our You know, just being, of course, Hollywood being in the United States, it may have just been a thing where there are more 50s sitcoms during the time, and some of them... um You know, like we're a few years ahead in in television in general, or, you know, maybe something like that. I don't know. I know nothing about television in the UK, or know very little about television in the UK, the industry. So I can't say that for sure, but maybe, you know, it was just because there are some shows that were made in the 50s in the United States that kind of held up where that didn't happen as much until a few years later for you guys.
1: Yeah, no, I think think that's probably right. Uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, you're. Um, i i think the us in general was back up and on on its feet after world war II a lot quicker than uh,
0: yeah and which would make sense obviously
1: yeah. yeah i mean uh i mean without turning this into a uh, history uh podcast i think uh, really that's one of the, that's one of the moments where uh, the us took over as a as a superpower a real superpower in history mm-hmm. um yep yeah. so um <laughs> you know, it- we do have Ken Osmond now.
0: The audio is bad here, but we do have Ken Osmond and Jim Cornette, sort of. Um, and and Jim Cornette is kind of like a Eddie Haskell type character. I mean, Eddie Haskell little more innocent, but Eddie Haskell was kind of like the troublemaker of um, of Leave It to Beaver. But he was also kind of like he would be like he sort of like aw shucks to the to the mom on that show. You know, he would right. kind of be like the rascal, but he would be really nice to the mom, so he would be, you know, a, um, you know, uh, you know, the mom would be like, oh, Eddie, you're such a scat, you're such a, a scamp kind of thing, you know.
1: Well, I couldn't really make out what was being said, but um, this looked quite fun, whatever was yeah. going on here. <laughs> um,
0: I, I, I think Jim Cornette probably would have, like, that would have been fun for him, too, just because he's sort of like the Eddie Haskell of wrestling, and, and to a certain extent.
1: Right, so, so this Eddie Haskell was a reasonably big star, then.
0: Well, I mean, he had been. I mean, this was again a revival of the show, and it, it didn't do anything. But he would have been like a name, like in pop culture. But he, but he did nothing. Like I don't think Ken Osmond. I think uh, I t- t- took a look at his Wikipedia page. It looks like he had been working as a police officer since 1970. So, um, oh, right, okay, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> like he was like a. He wasn't necessarily a big star, but like the Eddie Haskell character was a big, was a big thing. Um, you know, and was kind of being revived.
1: Oh wow! Well, I've just I've just clicked on his Wikipedia page here, and his picture is uh, Eddie Haskell. He's like a little kid here. He was like a so he was when <laughs> when the show aired in the fifties, he was like uh, fourteen year old or something.
0: Exactly. Yeah, he was uh, he was a teenager, and you know he was the friend of the teenage character, and then the Beaver was a younger, you know, was was you know like a, a eight or nine year old kid.
1: Wow, well, this is an education for me. I've I've honestly never heard of this show. So. Okay, uh, th- that's interesting. Thanks to Clash of the Champions. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I guess there are those um because you know there are there are tons of references in stuff like The Simpsons or even in films that go right over our heads. Like there are probably lots of in-jokes in films that uh, none of us get. But by the same token, there are there are lots of um uh t- occasionally when British people will make films. Actually, Hollywood films—they'll slip in loads of references that I can't imagine anybody, um, anybody getting. Uh, and there was a there was a pretty big instance of this during the Olympic ceremony, um, where both the opening and the closing uh, ceremony of the Olympics were just packed full of stuff that I can't imagine anybody outside the UK would have any idea what you know. Um, mm-hmm. There were just so many references to things that only we would get. You know what I mean? Um, so. Some things travel, some things don't, but this, uh, but, maybe I'll ask some of my friends if they've heard of Leave It to Beaver*. Uh-huh. uh But it's, I mean, I consider myself someone who's generally up on these sort of things, but, uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, this one has passed me by until now. Will you recommend watching it? Is it worth, uh, worth the No, watch?
0: it's, it's a terrible show. I mean, maybe watch it once just to get the idea about it, but, no, it's, it's not good television. Yeah.
1: There was also the... Was there a uh, Dick Van Dyke show? Was that a long-running yes, thing? Yes, that it? was the 60s. That was, a, the, that was a 60s thing, okay.
0: That's a show... That's a great show.
1: And that was a good show, okay.
0: A very good show. That's like one of my my five favorite television shows of all time. So,
1: Um, so... <laughs> we also get an interview here with Gary Hart, who's with Bob Coddle. Um, and he's got with him Al Perez. Um they want dusty Rhodes' us title and uh, hart says the only way that he can uh, get perez's shoulders down is with a baseball bat now is al perez a baseball player
0: no um <laughs> it's referencing and they've alluded to it on a few other occasions it's referencing an angle the night before or the yeah, the show before which would have been a, a day before this um where basically um tully Blanchard's... or no i'm sorry um Magnum T.A.'s out there. He's got a baseball bat. He talks about it being an equalizer. He talks about, like, kind of threats that he's had. Now, of course, this is, like, more than a year after his accident. Um, Tully Blanchard comes out to confront him and ends up sort of shoving him down. And then Dusty comes in, goes crazy, grabs the baseball bat, and hits Blanchard a bunch of times and starts choking him with it. And then a bunch of wrestlers have to come out, eat baby faces mostly and, um, pry Dusty off Tully. And they kind of put over the idea that like, um, that, uh, Dusty was like, uh, you know, a few, you know, minute away from killing him right. or at least you're putting him out of wrestling. So, so, um, yeah, that's going to lead to things, um, in a little bit. If you want to get into that or if you don't want to get into that, um, but it leads to sort of an uh, an infamous, um, dusty uh, thing that he would do in 1988.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, what? Well, uh, yeah, we can get it into the,
0: it. Why it not, leads to not? the Midnight Rider, I guess. The infamous Midnight <laughs> Rider. I don't know. If don't know if you're familiar with that or not.
1: But. No, no. I I, uh, I I have heard of this. Although although Al Perez, I, I must admit, is not someone who uh, rings any bells with me.
0: Um, Uh, he was sort of like one of those guys who people thought would be like a big deal and then wasn't I think he was sort of notoriously unreliable no-show things mm -hmm. kind of like um uh, yeah, he, he was in world class for, for a decent amount of time in the mid-80s. Uh, I oh, guess right. he kind of had like the like an Austin Idol reputation, where Austin Idol, of course, was known for, well, maybe not of course, but for those who don't know, Austin Idol was a big star in Memphis and Alabama, that kind of thing, and, and he would often no-show um, major shows, so eventually stopped being used because of that.
1: Yeah, it's, um... Right. And, and I mean, I just I just pulled up Al Perez here. He actually is a stint in WWF. Uh, in I didn't ni- know that. 1989. it well, according to Wikipedia, although we found we found on this show that Wikipedia is pretty uh, unreliable because um they, <laughs> yes they claim that Earl Hebner was uh in two places at once uh, last time out that he was he was actually refereeing at um, um Survivor Series '87. But well he he's in he's he's, re- he's refereeing on uh Stark eight eighty seven as well.
0: Okay. Um well, maybe to be fair, he has a twin brother, so maybe the twin <laughs> was doing the refereeing.
1: Yeah, no. Um th- yeah, well apparently Al Perez wrestled in nineteen eighty nine, uh, against the Brooklyn Brawler, Coco Beware, the Red Rooster, and Bret Hart. Hm I never I've, i I honestly have never seen Al Perez um in the WWF. I've
0: I've seen him a couple of times, so
1: I've seen him, but I've never seen him in the WF. Um, yeah, and he—I mean, he's someone who's not really much on my radar. I guess whenever he's come up, I—I I didn't, you know, I didn't really think much to note him. If that makes any right. sense. Um So d- we go from this to uh, Francis Crockett, who is the sister, I think, of David Crockett and Jim Crockett Jr. Um, I think you're right. And she seems to have the charisma of uh, Jim, not of David, unfortunately. <laughs> so not not much charisma from Francis. Um, uh-huh. And she's here to run down the top ten teams of the Crockett Cup. So uh, I thought I'd, we'd go through these, and um, maybe we can I can just get your general thoughts on some of the guys who aren't on the show. We have uh, Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch. And uh, one of the ongoing uh, things here that we found is that Ivan Koloff really can't find himself a good techie partner. So uh, no. it's nice to see, uh, finally, he gets a good partner in Dick Murdoch, because he's, he's yeah. had some pretty ropey ones.
0: Yeah, and I like that they're the mirror image of the superpowers, because yes. obviously Ivan was Nikita's partner and Dick Murdoch was Dusty's partner.
1: Oh, I didn't know... Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. That's that, that's a That's a very and some very neat symmetry there. Yeah. Um, but, but, of course, I mean, Ivan Koloff, since he was tagging with Nikita, has had some awful partners, uh, including Krushchev and uh, Vladimir Pietrov. Yeah. Um, the next team, would, uh, just before we uh, move on, uh, did, any thoughts on Dick Murdoch?
0: Um, you know, I honestly haven't seen a lot of Dick Murdoch. I mean, I you know, from what I've seen, he's great. I know he has that great reputation, but... um. You know, I've only I've seen you know maybe uh, ten or so matches of Dick Murdoch. He's sort of a gap for me,
1: right? Yeah, uh, I, I I know Chad is quite high on uh, Dick Murdoch. I'm I'm yet to be um, convinced that he's deserving of his kind of massive reputation because uh, mm-hmm. you know he's one of the guys who talked of as being like a top worker ever, 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 and uh, sure. I've never really seen that to be honest from uh, from him. I've, I've probably seen um, yeah. Quite a few Dick Murdoch matches by this stage and um he's never m- much more than very solid in my book. Then we have uh, Sting and Ron Garvin. Um we don't see Ron Garvin on this show, so any any thoughts on him?
0: Uh I've always liked Ron Garvin. Um you know, I um even though, you know, the the NWA title stint isn't well remembered. I love the the match where he beats Flair and the and the re, you know, the rematch where he loses the title. I think those are both terrific matches. I thought he and Flair had a wonderful chemistry and you know, just really hard hitting, um, strong matches that were a little bit different than some of the Flair template matches from the time. Um, so I've I've always enjoyed him. I haven't seen him much outside of that, and of course his, you know, 89, 1990 WWF stint. Um, but you know, he's um, always been one who's enjoyable, even though it's absurdly silly. I do enjoy the Garvin Stomp.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the best Garvin Stomp is from WrestleMania five, or no WrestleMania six, I think it is, on uh, Frenchy Martin. Ah, uh, yes. When he uh, he actually sells it with the, um, with you know, with the shaking leg. <laughs> Um, okay then we have the Varsity Club I think that's basically Kevin Sullivan and Rick Steiner right Uh,
0: or um, Rotundo oh I guess my yeah I was assuming it was Rotundo and Steiner but I guess Rotundo is a singles guy so I guess it would be Sullivan and Steiner so I had thought about that
1: I think it would be those two I I could be wrong Um, then we have the Fantastics Windham and Luger Powers of Pain Midnight Express the Road Warriors um, Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff and the number one ranked team is, of course, the world champs, Arn Anderson and Tony Blanchard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was just a little bit of hype for the Crockett Cup there. And, I mean, when you look at that, as a roster, I know not all of these were full-time tag teams, but most of them were. Um, that's a pretty decent... Uh, that's ten pretty decent teams there. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jason. All
0: right, thank you. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill
1: Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.